You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Good morning. If uh, you're new, um, you heard somebody call out my name. So uh, my name is Mike Bickley, and I serve uh, here at Journey. We're in the second week of a a series called Allowed to Ask. And the idea behind this was that oftentimes um, we suppress the real questions we have about our faith. Maybe especially if they're directed at the foundations of our faith. So we wanted to give you permission to ask. And so during this series, there's a telephone number up here on the screen. And uh, during this message, if you have questions about the content of your faith associated with what we're talking about or questions about your faith, text those in. Um, We're going to talk for 25 minutes, and then we're going to do Q&A for 10 minutes. And our hope is that this dialogue will help you process your faith. Um, Last week, uh, we talked about can we choose our own path to God? And the answer is yes. You can, but the answer's a little tricky because some choices have grave consequences. And not all roads lead to the same destination, contrary to what you've been told in our society, that all paths lead to God. That's not true. If you take I-35 north, you're not going to end up in Maryland. If you take I-70 east, you're not going to end up in Minnesota. Not all roads lead to the same destination. And so last week we talked about Jesus Christ's exclusive and absolute claims. And then we also talked about his historic and salvific works. And we said that that lays the foundation for Christianity. Um, It is based on the truth of the Bible, but it's based in the claims exclusively and absolutely of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And we ended with an illustration talking about how much God loves us. He wanted to make absolutely sure we wouldn't miss it. This week, we want to talk about faith deconstruction. As you may be aware, um, there last several years, there's been a highly publicized phenomenon where people are publicly deconstructing their faith, walking away from the faith, apostatizing, and and then what they are doing after they've dismantled it is they're embracing something else. Um, And many people give many reasons for these, the clergy scandals, the legalistic teaching, the hypocrisy of believers, the abuse of power in the church, the the union of Christianity to political parties, and a host of other reasons. I remember in 2011 when Rob Bell, who was the founding pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church, wrote his work, Love Wins, where he deconstructed the historic Christian faith that he had been taught, and he publicly published his findings. Now, at this time, Rob Bell was a celebrity pastor um, known for his videos, and he was a masterful communicator, an empathetic and compassionate person, a great, great writer. And he used all of these skills to persuade people to reinterpret the teachings of Jesus and leave behind the historic church that was built on biblical doctrine. 
And many did, especially the young. So if you're here, you probably know someone in the last couple of decades that's deconstructed their faith. I know it hits close to home for me. So what is faith deconstruction? I think it'd be good to give a short synopsis of the bigger philosophical movement of deconstruction. Now, just so you'll know, I have a little background in engineering, educationally. Um, my master's and doctorate degrees are, are in theology, and so I'm not a social scientist and I'm not a philosopher. But I do like to be aware of the broader movements that are shaping our culture. And deconstruction, uh, as a part of postmodernism, definitely is. Deconstruction is rooted in French post-structuralist um, philosophers. What they thought to do was to unmask the hidden power dynamics behind the conventional texts and institutions of society. So in America, that would be the text would be our founding fathers' documents, like our Constitution and the Bill of Rights. They want to unmask the hidden power dynamics behind that and then the institutions that were created for that. And so their idea is, is that all texts and all institutions, um, you have to get to their premises to find out their contradictions and the real reasons they rooted themselves. And they would say, in every case, it's suppression and oppression. So deconstruction assumes that every moral claim is an effort to exert power over people and to prevent those people from having their own liberation to think for themselves and create their own selves, create their own lives. So all texts and all institutions have some kind of uh, power that they want to exert over us. Deconstruction seeks to unmask and disempower the moral claims that hold us in their sway. Now, what is true about deconstruction is there's always in everything the humanity tainted by sin evidenced in anything that's brought about, amen? But it's one thing to say that everything constructed that has a moral claim is actually seeking to prevent our liberation, and so we see this happening in America. You see it in the tearing down of statues. You, you see it in the renaming of our schools, the disassociation of historical figures from our future, and, and all of it saying that because all of America in every way was built to oppress and suppress. Now, our history is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But is deconstruction the route that one should take? An English faculty member at um, Yale uh, said this. He said, the whole concept of literature, still more of art, has been discredited. Novels, poems, stories, plays. They are all texts, no different from all other texts. And then this is what he says. I'm putting it on the screen. The purpose of studying them is not to appreciate or understand them. It's to interrogate them for their ideological investments in patriarchy, in white supremacy, in Western imperialism, and in ethnocentrism, and then to unmask and debunk them, to drain them of their poisonous, persuasive power. 
So this is a way of dealing with fallen humanity's gross sins. You basically have to do away with anything that's an institution or has a moral claim associated with it. What's a, so this is the background of faith deconstruction. Now, I'm not a philosopher. I'm not going to speak to the integration of the different philosophical ways like Marxism and how they come alongside this. What I want you to understand is faith deconstruction presumes the same thing, that the historic teachings and doctrines of the church are oppressive moral claims designed to suppress our personhood and make us pawns for those in power. The end goal of faith deconstruction is destroying faith. And, and I think it's important um, as we talk about this, this is a giant movement, especially among the youth of our nation, to believe that every institution, every moral claim, um, every church has uh, a desire to oppress people, not to free people from their slavery to sin. So the way I would summarize it is this. Faith deconstruction is destructive. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> faith examination is constructive. So I'm going to make a distinction here. It is one thing to try to dismantle and dismember and destroy faith altogether. It's another thing to examine and evaluate and put your faith up to scrutiny. I'm here to tell you that the biblical faith can stand any scrutiny any person puts on it. So you don't need to destroy and dismember your faith. You need to examine it. If you've ever bought a used home, not a new home, but a used home, maybe one that's not so gently used, you know that that home's going to need to be remodeled. There are parts of it that may need to be replaced or reworked or strengthened. You might need a new HVAC system. You might need a new roof. You might need to put some steel girders in your Prairie Village basement to keep the walls from caving in. You know, you, you, there's all kinds of things you would do. And I want you to think of this. You don't want to deconstruct your faith. You don't want to just take bulldozers because there's a few things that you're uncertain about and have doubts about or might be challenged in our culture and just demolish your faith. Don't do that. Look at your faith like a house that needs to be remodeled. What areas of it need to be strengthened, need to be evaluated, need to be worked on? So what is biblical faith? I think this is really important for us to grab hold of because there's a lot of people that would say, well, you know, biblical faith is blind faith. You just, you just got to believe the whole thing. I don't buy that for a minute. Biblical faith is not blind faith. I, I believe the Christian faith is a substantiated faith. It's an evidential faith. And we're going to talk about that a little bit here. I want to give you three components. Um, and if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, because we're going to see all three of these components in a passage, verses 14 through 17, of chapter 3. And I, I could give you all kinds of other verses, but for the frequency of 
turning in the Bible back and forth and our need to keep this short so we can get to Q&A. I, I just want to give you these three components, and I want to show you in Paul uh, helping Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor who was under attack. He, he was tending to pull back, and Paul is encouraging him to stand strong on his convictions, to apply his faith in the midst of turmoil. And so in this passage, he conveys three concepts of biblical faith. And the first one is this, that your faith is rational. A biblical faith is a cognitive faith. It has a content. It has a set of beliefs that it holds to. You do not, if you are a person with biblical faith, have the freedom to pick and choose what you hold to and what you don't hold to. Our faith has a content to it. And this is what Paul wrote to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the parental instruction with him and in the synagogue with the teachings that would be about Jesus which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So I want you to notice that these learnings and this believing that is taking place is to give us the wisdom we need to experience salvation, to have a relationship with the true and living God and be able to communicate and walk with him in our daily lives. It's life-giving. And so the first thing is that biblical faith is evidential. But it's, I mean, is ra rational. The second thing is it's evidential. It has a source. And that source is outside of you. See, faith has a content to it. That's why at times faith is a noun. And at other times faith, believe, is a verb. So it's the content but then behind that content is a source, and the source of the faith is not you. The source is God. In other words, you can say that you believe this, you believe that, and you believe this. That's great. You're not the source of my faith. God is the source of my faith. And God has revealed himself in history, in acts that he has done, and in the revelation that he has given to us. And in contradiction to what deconstructionists tell you, the whole point of the scriptures is not to oppress and suppress, but to liberate and free us from the penalty and the power and eventually the presence of sin. It's the most liberating book ever, and it can stand up to all the scrutiny anyone will give it. So it's objective. It has an absolute source to it, the revelation of God. If you look here in Timothy's, uh, what he's receiving, um, you'll notice that he recognizes that Paul reminds him that he is acquainted with the sacred writings that reference there would be to the Old Testament. And then including, because Paul will include at other times the current writings of the apostles in the New Testament, he says all Scripture is breathed out by God. 
The source of the Bible is not the collection of men's best attempts to describe God or speak for God. The Bible itself internally claims hundreds of times that the origin of what is being communicated is God himself. And so this is one of the things, that's why next week, by the way, we're going to spend the whole week on the Bible. Because it is um, the most important thing that we can make a decision about in regard to the content of our faith. Because that content has to come from somewhere. And the content that comes from somewhere has to have a source. And so we have to examine that. We have to take a look at it. We have to evaluate it. We have to ask, is it worthy of my full allegiance? Is it God speaking? Is it conveying absolute truth? So biblical faith is rational, biblical faith is evidential, and biblical faith is behavioral. Now, this is where the practice of faith comes in. In other words, the demons believe God is one. They have intellectual assent. They even believe in the origin, God himself, but they don't surrender to him. They don't follow him. They don't submit to him. They work in opposition to him. And so we know, as Paul writes here to Timothy, that God gives us these things so that you and I may be equipped, so that we can be trained, and we're supposed to be changing. We're supposed to move from unrighteous people to righteous people, not just in our standing before God, but in our behavior in the world. And we're supposed to move from evil and selfish works to doing good works. And so real faith is substantiated in the way that we live. And so this is the biblical picture of faith, that, that it is not just content, it's not just acknowledging the source, it's letting God change you from the inside out. So when we talk about faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, the word of God, we, we know that faith is something that is a belief system that's sourced in who God is and what God has done and what God has said, and it changes us. That's why when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't, he didn't say, hey, uh, here's a scroll. Uh, do you agree with it? He said, follow me. Take on the life I take on. Think like I think. Relate to God like I relate to God. So, what kind of faith stands up to an examination? A biblical faith. And so if you're here this morning, you've got doubts, you've got uncertainties, you've got questions, awesome. Doubt is not your enemy. What is doubt? Doubt is a reservation. Doubt is an uncertainty. Uh, doubt is a question that's open-ended maybe. So if you have those, that's awesome. Doubts are supposed to lead you to seek answers and understanding. The only problem with the doubt is when you never address it. And so we believe that everything that challenges our faith, that would call it into scrutiny, is good. Because we believe that the faith we hold from the word of God 
demonstrated in the person of God, Jesus Christ, can hold up to any scrutiny we put it under. So the Bible tells us to examine our faith. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Lamentations was written in a tumultuous time uh, for the people of Israel and and drawn into exile and and brutally ravaged in a war. And and it was a time of questioning. and, And it was okay to test and examine your ways. Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, which had all kinds of troubles morally and in all kinds of ways, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And so it's healthy for us to examine and to test and to put up the scrutiny our faith because it'll get stronger. I promise you, it gets stronger because there's always an answer always an answer. Now you may say, is there an answer to every question? I didn't say that. I said, there's always an answer. Some questions will go unanswered till we get to eternity. But even in that process, it's like you will learn that God will tell you that it's okay to let me be God for a little while. So who should examine their faith? These are just six kind of life seasons that are a great time for you to examine your faith. So if you're sitting in here, you're in middle school, you're in high school, you're in college maybe, and you've kind of, you know, you you come from a Christian home and you're like, you just kind of adopted things, it's time to examine your faith. It's time to dig in for yourself. Find out what the Bible teaches about Jesus. To know for yourself what Jesus did. To know, to read, to understand the Old Testament that lays the foundation for the coming of Christ and the need that we have for Christ. Maybe you're facing suffering and injustice and it's just, it's like a fastball thrown at your head and you didn't have time to duck. What a great time to examine your faith. What is God, what is God, why does God allow in this world evil and injustice and what does his, what does he do with that? What does he do in us through that? How about those of you that are disillusioned with church leaders? What a great time to examine your faith. What does the Bible say about leaders? How about those that are disappointed, that feel like, man, I'm just trapped in the same old sin behaviors, can't ever get out of them? What a great time to examine your faith. To try to discover what that step is that's missing. Maybe you have an environmental faith. You grew up in a bubble and everything, you know, maybe you were homeschooled and you never left left your home. I don't know. And now you're out in the real world and you're like, wow, this is way different. And and people are telling you faith is unnecessary. Just live life the way you want to live it. And you're like, I don't know. Maybe you grew up with a legalistic faith and you were taught rules and rules and rules and rules and you just kept them and kept them and kept them. And now you're sour. Is faith more than rules? Is the content of our faith a relationship or is it rules? And so this is a great time for people to examine their faith. Here's what happens though. Rob Bell replaced his biblical faith with unfounded personal ideas. And I I wanna challenge you to closely examine the cultural narratives that will be presented as the alternative to faith. 
because they will shift and they will change. Let me pray for us and then we're going to do Q&A and Mark Dodd's going to come up here and facilitate that. God, we ask now that as we dialogue that you would help us um, to have a clear understanding of the gift of salvation through Christ we have, the content of the faith that we hold, and the power given us by the Holy Spirit to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. And now for a special Q&A segment from this week's service. If you have a question you would like to submit for next week, text 913-732-1417. Amen. Thanks, Mike, for that great message. I'm just going to dive right into some questions here. And Good. just want to let you all know that as we are dialoguing up here, that you can continue to text in your questions live. And I'll do my best to get to them, all right? That'll work. Um, kind of picking up on the theme that we just talked about in your, in your message. Do you think that current deconstruction philosophy is driven by demonic spiritual forces? So the biblical answer is that everything in the world system is a rival system ruled by Satan seeking to set itself up in opposition to God and his kingdom. That's why Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of courage, I have overcome the world. And we know that the eventual overcoming of that world will be at the return of Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. Until then, behind all of the things that set themselves up to oppose God is demonic and satanic power, whether it's overt or covert. Mm. You said in your sermon that biblical faith is not blind faith. What then does Jesus mean when he says that we must have faith like a child? So I'm going to tell you right now, the faith of a child is the most wonderful thing in the world. Amen to that. Right? And have, I'm going to tell you this. If you want to talk about the faith of a child, right? Most children, if they see a mean-looking stranger, they don't go run into their arms. But they see their daddy or their mommy, they go running into their arms. Faith, the faith of a child doesn't mean that, that, it's, that it doesn't have any background that warrants. The object of the faith, the faith of a child, um, is, is not a blind faith. It's, it's one that's willing to accept what is real. Mm. So I, I, like, we could talk a lot about that, but I think I would just want to say blind faith is, to me, means that the object doesn't need to be examined. And, and I would say that's not true because then all roads would lead to the same destination. Mm. Yeah, that's super helpful, Mike. Um, this is kind of a softball question for you. Okay. But I do think that it'll be helpful for uh, members of our congregation. Outside of the Bible, who are some of the authors or speakers that you read or that you listen to that have helped you most in your own faith journey? Oh, wow. Um, so I said last service for a different question. I would say that nine-tenths of most everything that I read is the Bible. And I'm not saying that to sound spiritually prideful. 
It's that um, for me to be able to understand somebody else's teachings about the Bible, I feel like I have to have a really good grasp on the Bible to evaluate their teaching. And so for me, like every year, I try to read through the New Testament, twice the Old Testament, once Psalms and Proverbs, twice, and I have a reading plan. And and I'm kind of, the secret service agents that uh, look for counterfeit bills are not taught just all the strategies of counterfeiting. Their main teaching is how to handle and identify the true currency so that almost immediately they can sense that what they're handling isn't the true thing. And so for me, I would just say, I would encourage you, if you aren't already regularly investing yourself deeply in reading the Bible, then then reading other people's views about the Bible is not necessarily going to shape you well. Given that, um, there have been a number of authors throughout that, you know, on a practical level, if I'm thinking about world, world evangelization, Robert Coleman has been very helpful. Bill Hall's book on discipleship, um, Jesus Christ Disciple Maker, is one of the best little primers on discipleship out there. Um, if I'm thinking about um, God's grace, um, Tim Keller of Redeemer um, comes to mind, and his book, The Prodigal Son, is just incredible. The Prodigal God. Prodigal yeah. God, yes. And and then so many, his book, Counterfeit Gods, yeah. on idolatry in our culture is just amazing. So um, there's, a, I, I, I don't just one, um, I try to read as broadly as I can with the time I have. Great. All right, here's, this is, this is a good question. Uh, if for those who never hear the name of Jesus, do we at Journey Bible Church believe that they ultimately get the same opportunity for salvation? Why or why not? Man, that is a deep question. <laughs> um, I think behind that question is, um, does God condemn to hell people who never have the opportunity to hear? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I want to premise two things here. I'm not God. And I'm not making the final decision. Okay, so I'm grateful for that. We know that God is holy. We know God is righteous. We know God is loving. And we know God is just. So he would never compromise his justice for his love. And he'll never compromise his love for his justice. So he's, he's going to always act in congruency within himself um, in the way that he deals with his creation. Mm. So... Um, from um, what I understand um, in the teachings of the Bible is there is salvation in no one else except Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's an exclusive and absolute claim that Jesus himself made. Mm. Um, Now, I'm going to add to this just a little historical understanding of the missionary work. It's our job to take the gospel to the people that haven't heard to make sure that they hear. So the question for me sometimes is, is who will receive judgment for not fulfilling that command? And, um, and then I would like to add that all across uh, the missionary world, 
We know of missionaries who go to a people group and they say, well, you're finally here. Can you tell us about God's son? We've been asking God to send us someone to tell us so we would know how to be saved. I mean, hmm. that's not an uncommon occurrence. You meet, I was in one of the countries that they were talking about on the screen and I met with a guy and how did you come to faith in a dream? What do you mean in a dream? Jesus showed up in my dream and told me to go to a church, which I shouldn't go to, and talk to a pastor I shouldn't talk to. And what'd you do? I went to the church, and I talked to the pastor, and he told me the gospel, and I gave my life to Jesus. So if we won't do it, God reaches out to people. I, I, I will tell you, the Bible tells us that general revelation is enough to tell people they need to search out the special revelation of the gospel to find salvation. Yeah, super helpful. Mike, how would you encourage a friend or a family member that's experiencing their own deconstruction? So I, it, I've done it wrong, so I can tell you what's, what's wrong. Don't preach at them. Um, yep. Don't tell them they're stupid. Um, uh, don't get angry. Um, I would say now I would ask lots of really good questions. I would ask questions. Well, if, if everybody believed like you're constructing what you think about life, would the world be perfect? Where, where would we end up if we all lived that way? Um, what, what hope do you have? Hmm. What meaning? What purpose? Um, why... And then maybe based on their system, ask specific questions, and I would then listen. Um, I've not been a good listener in those discussions in the past. I would say, don't preach, listen, ask great questions. Best way to handle it. And then give the Holy Spirit room to work by demonstrating steadfast love to that individual. That's, yeah, that's super helpful. And that's kind of segues in this next question seems that more and more our culture is resistant to the Christian faith. How do we engage in spiritual conversations with unchurched people? Yeah. So first of all, the Bible tells us that the closer we get to the return of Christ, the harder things are going to be. We're getting closer, so it's going to be harder. I mean, that's just a fact. Uh, and, you know, even commands in the New Testament just a couple thousand years ago, right? Uh, like Paul calling Timothy to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, we, we're going to have more and more harshness and antagonism as the world becomes uh, more and more crazy in the slide to the place where we, we'll see the rapture and the tribulation and the things that are prophesied in the, in the Bible. And you, you can see it coming. We can feel it. Those of us that are are crested the hill. Um, we, we see it and feel it and sense it. Um, and so um, I would tell you that the best thing you can do is season your conversations with salt by using phrases and verses of Scripture um, and, and asking questions. So you, someone might be saying, well, I, I just don't believe in a God. Ask them why. And then maybe you know that Psalm 19 says, hey, you know, one of the Psalms says that the heavens, the creation, declare the glory of God. Do, do you think there's a designer in our world? And I think great questions like that, like 
Ask them, where, where do you get meaning and purpose in life? Do you have hope for the future? What do you do with your dark thoughts? I think all of those things are really good questions to open up a conversation, and they might say, well, I don't know. What, what do you do with yours? Yeah. And then I would say, be prepared. <laughs> I love that. I think learning to become a great question asker is one of the most loving things we can do to engage people. And that's, Mark, that's one of the things you do good. You ask great oh, questions. Um, is there any value in reading authors in the deconstruction camp, or should we avoid them altogether? So again, um, I've read, um, like Rob Bell's book, and um, um, immediately as I'm reading through it, I, I identify the fallacies of logic that he's used. I identify, identify the, the, the complete uh, absence of biblical foundation for his new doctrines. And so um, I, think, uh, I think that our faith can always stand up to scrutiny. But I, I would warn people that the way, like I spend, I probably spend nine-tenths of my time um, focused not on reading those who need apologetic answers to the faith or who have deconstructed their faith. I just spend nine-tenths of my time um, really focused on what is the truth so I can immediately identify it um, when I see falsehood, when I see delusion, when I see deception, when I see teaching contrary to Scripture. So, uh, that's my understanding is that's how secret service agents are trained in, in currency and identifying um, uh, that which has been fabricated and isn't true currency is they spend so much time studying the real thing that immediately when they touch or see the false thing, they can immediately identify it's false, even though it might take them a moment to show you where. Mm. That's great. And then I just want you all to know that you can continue to text in questions like this person literally just texted this in. I'm going to ask Mike this. So as the community of Journey Bible Church, how do we practice healthy faith examination? Yeah, so um, I think it's great. Uh, I would say, um, real simply, if you're having doubts, if you're having struggles, sometimes we feel like we need to keep them to ourselves because this isn't a safe place. Like everybody here is perfect. Everybody here knows everything. Everybody here is solid. And everybody that believes that's wrong, okay? Because we're not. We're, we're all in process. I'm in process. I, I'm still weighing through things and, and wrestling with things as I face things in this world. So one, I would say uh, identify a safe group of people and, and share with them your doubts. Ask them to mentor you or to give you insights about their doubts, your reservations, your uncertainties. And, and then maybe, you know, ask them to point you to some things you could read or study that would give scriptural basis for you to hold on to the truth uh, rather than feel drawn away uh, by the untruth. And if you're here this morning looking for a community, of faith like that. There's several on-ramps of journey. We, we could get you connected to a men's Bible study, women's Bible study, celebrate recovery, a journey group. So if that's something that you're looking to do, just know that we'd love to talk with you after the service about taking those next steps. Absolutely. Mike, at the end of last week, um, you said you never unearned salvation. Does that mean that if you received the Lord as your savior when you were a child, let's say six or seven years old, uh, but now as an adult, you've 
turned your heart away from God. Does that mean that you still go to heaven when you die? Okay. Great question. <clears throat> so <clears throat> um, it, it's interesting in uh, one of the verses back there, it said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Um, I think sometimes um, people make an emotional decision. They make an, an intellectual decision, but I'm not sure they make a biblical faith decision. And so, you know, I do, I do think people can deceive themselves. I think people can be deceived. So what I would tell you is the, there are certain marks of salvation that take place when someone has genuinely been converted. Number, number one um, is that they are going to receive the Holy Spirit and they are going to receive a, a new heart. It's what the Bible talks about, changing us from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, a, a heart that wants to seek God, a heart that wants to follow God. So if someone is sitting there doubting their salvation and, they have a, and they're worried because they love God and they're worried they lost it, they probably didn't. Are you following me? So, but if there's no evidence, like if there's no, there's no desire at all, um, then, then I would say, you know, that's a, that's a sign that, that maybe they weren't truly converted. Um, and so we're all, if you look through the Bible, the only person who did it right the whole time was Jesus. Okay. All of us on our journey are going to have some major ups and downs. So I, I, I would just, I just think if we are thinking that we earn salvation by our works, we can never do that. Yeah. That's why Christ had to die. Yeah. Is that, I, I don't know who asked that question, yeah, so I, they I don't probably don't want to speak up, but I don't know if that answers <laughs> it completely. Question. But I, I would say you cannot lose your salvation but if someone's in a long period of complete disassociation mm. with no desire for God and only a desire for sin, I would question whether they were really of the faith to begin with. Mm. Mike, how can I reconcile the loving, merciful God of the New Testament to the wrathful God of the Old Testament? So um, I love that question. Um, but I think it's a, it's a miscommunication um, and synopsis. I think anybody who's read through the Old Testament mm -hmm. has to ask the question, how could God be so patient with such an obstinate and stubborn people? I mean, I, I really do. So I, I do not see a distinction between Jesus Christ and, and the... the uh, God of the Old Testament, that God is one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and I, I think if you read the New Testament, it focuses much more on the coming justice of God when Christ will return and bring final justice. Um, so um, what we saw in the Old Testament, and again, it, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to understand the peoples that were being dispossessed by the Israelites for their gruesome moral practices, um, including regular child sacrifice, uh, 
you know, sex, slavery, incest, rape. Um, you know, I don't know if you, you just, you, you, you just, it's hard to describe how pervasively evil their cultures were. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know if that. <clears throat> yeah, Mike, I, we're totally changing direction with this question. This is a much more uh, practical okay. life question. Like it. I do think it has theological implications. Though. Okay. So how did you handle your children maybe playing sports on a Sunday? And what advice would you give to parents who struggle with that? Wow. Yeah, don't put me on the spot. Um, I think legalism is as harmful to a development of a new believer as liberalism. Um, I think anything goes is as destructive as nothing goes. Um, I think rules-based faith is not biblical faith. So biblical faith has to be based in grace and mercy and love. And by the way, in the Old Testament, God describes himself as a God full of mercy um, and full of love. Um, and, and, and the reason he doesn't wipe out every generation when they should be wiped out and he waits is because he's that person and gives that opportunity to people. So I, I want to steer away from that. Um, at the same time, as parents, it's our responsibility to provide a framework of life for our children where they learn how to balance the demands of the culture with the faith that we hold to. So in our family, um, we did not suppress all Sunday morning sports, but there, there were times when like if, if a coach was scheduling games on purpose on Sunday mornings, we would go to him and tell him, you know, if you do that um, and you keep, because that most of the schedules are, are coach choice in the sports that we did, we just told them, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to change teams. And, and so we, we tried to balance that. Fortunately, we found that it, there, there was a rare instance where, where um, they couldn't come to church for one of the services. Um, and so um, I very rarely uh, preached one sermon and then went um, to a soccer game and skipped the second one. But uh, um, that's a joke. Uh, so so uh, I would just say as a parent, it's your responsibility yeah. to your children are of age where they make their own decisions that that you provide a structural framework for them. Yeah. So we're out of time. Yeah, we are. So um, if we will uh, get to more of the questions that you guys uh, asked on social media uh, during the week. Um, great questions. Uh, we love that you're asking them, and, and we will continue this in the, in the next week. So I'm going to yep. invite Ian and the yep. band's going to band come now. out. Why don't you guys stand? We're going to do one more song as we leave, and I'm just going to pray real quick while they get in place and get set up. Father, we just uh, thank you that uh, all the answers that we need to know how we're supposed to live are provided for us in your word. There may not be direct instruction on how to balance Sunday morning sports in our culture, but there's biblical wisdom that helps us to understand how we should live, how we should raise our children, um, how we should be a part of a community of faith, a church. So God, just continue to show us um, how to live out our faith 
in a world that is often hostile to faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.